over the course of human history. There's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Once again, uh, we are preparing, Nancy, uh, that when the schedule comes out for WABC, that whatever time is available during the Thanksgiving uh, holiday, that both you and I will do it together as we've done in past years uh, during Christmas and New Year's for all those who may not uh, be able to get away or maybe no longer have family or friends available, maybe shut-ins, and especially now if this uh, snow bomb alert of Kathy Hoku comes through and people are not able to travel, uh, they know they have a friend uh, uh, that's always there for them at WABC. So uh, we've done this as a service to our listeners, and we'll continue to do this. So just know uh, it's a time that can be very depressing for people, whereas for others it's very exhilarating. We'll be there for them once again. Yeah, I mean, I look, I look forward to it, um, absolutely. But meantime today, as I was uh, at the apartment, stretched out, Wondering if I'd be able to get to WABC to do the program because my blood pressure was high since I'm so pissed off at what's going on in the city. Uh, who was it that came to my aid and took my blood pressure down? Uh, that would be Apollo. So that was Apollo. Now, Apollo is the patriarch cat of uh, the uh, colony of cats that Nancy has rescued from the shelter to avoid them uh, being destroyed, executed, uh, euthanized, uh, and explain how the cats know instinctively to do that and what they do and how, if just using meat, the blood pressure actually comes down. Well, I mean, again, the the rationale as to um, how they sort of perceive that, I mean, they, you know, I'm not sure if the, the science is completely understood on that, but... You know, they perceive so many, um, you know, different, like, uh, levels of human health. So it goes really deep how, how much they can perceive. But um, from what has been studied, as far as I know, the reason why they tend to, like, um, lay on top of you, for instance, when you might have the high blood pressure, their heart beat, um, it, it almost has a, uh, the, it's the effect of it. It's like the reverberations. So somehow... Um, it's like a, it, like a, you know, it's like a small drum, so to speak. I guess, for lack of like a better way to say it, that's going against your body, and it's like this constant, um, you know, stereophonic type thing, and, and that actually has an effect of calming your blood pressure. So it's you know, it's it's, it's definitely very scientific. It's amazing because the only time Apollo again, he's the oldest, he's the patriarch of the cat colony. The only time he jumps on my chest is when I have high blood pressure. So he instinctively recognizes that. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. It, it, 
does seem like that it corresponds with that. So I would say that is why he's doing it. It absolutely works. And as we're discussing cats, uh, earlier this morning when I was coming home, uh, and I took the Crosstown bus after taking the number six train, I was going to stop and do my job, which is to get you the breakfast yeah. from, from our neighborhood deli. And I sent you the picture <laughs> of the bodega cat in that deli who was on guard in the window, preventing any rats or mice <laughs> from being in that facility. This is what all businesses need, yet... If a inspector came by from the health department, what kind of trouble would that uh, deli bodega be in? Uh, I mean, well, I mean, technically, they they can give a fine to uh, anyone who has a cat in a, a food establishment. You know, any place where there's some sort of an open food. So I, you know, there's like the uh, like the hierarchy. So there's like a first fine. I think it's like maybe three hundred dollars, and then. It accelerates after that, so you know it could get into the thousands, and then obviously it could lead to you know further issues. How ridiculous! Because anyone looking at the cat in the window, since the business wasn't open yet, understood the cat was working while the staff was away. The cat was doing its job, which was to keep the rats and the mice away. Absolutely. All right, so let's get into the story base. Uh, phone numbers, if you'd like to call in. Uh, Animal Welfare, exclusive to WABC, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. All of you may have remembered, it seems like it was almost a lifetime ago, where the um, horse carriage um, horse collapsed in the streets of New York City And to everyone in proximity, it appeared the horse may have actually died in the hot, sweltering heat. We saw the video of the horse carriage driver whipping the horse, whipping the horse. Uh, And then uh, Good Samaritans came, iced down the horse, watered down the horse. The fire department came, revived the horse. It's a horrible, horrible situation uh, of which uh, these kinds of things have happened before. But now, all of a sudden, there was a prosecution of the horse carriage driver so long after. Why is it suddenly in the news? What has happened to suddenly make it a case in court? Well, so basically what's going on is uh, now he's he's technically being charged. So, you know, the the, the court, they have, um, you know, pretty much up until, uh, depending upon what, the, what it is, but six months or a year, in which they can choose to prosecute someone. So it's you know it's it's not automatic that you'll have an arraignment um, where they'll um, you know where right away you'll know your fate. They can just choose to to not do anything. So they basically waited until the last minute, and you know I mean obviously the reason being that there's so much pressure that's been on this particular um, incident, but this was where you know obviously um, the horse was. Uh, you know, being used in service as a carriage horse. And this was a horse that was clearly in extremely poor condition. And it was on a very hot day. And like, uh, to your point, you know, when the horse wound up collapsing on the way after working the entire day, uh, the driver is, you know, then like beating it on the street, trying to get it to to, to wake up, you know, and then and then answering all the questions like very incorrectly. Oh, the horse is younger than it was, so you know it, it seemed extremely deceptive what had occurred, and 
you know, right away the horse was shipped off to, um, you know, like retirement, but then had to be euthanized, obviously, because it was in an extremely poor condition. So, you know, I think because of the, you know, the particulars of this case, I mean, that's why this probably is, is being prosecuted. I mean, obviously, there was so much video footage, so so many people saw this. Now, you know, unfortunately, this person's only being charged with one count of animal cruelty, uh, you know, to all of the cases that we've ever seen, when you have people who do anything, hoarding or, um, you know, breeding, like anything where they're abusing multiple animals, you can have multiple charges of this and the person walks away without doing any any jail time. So the idea that he's he's going to have any, you know, any ramifications, I think is probably unlikely, you know, except for him having to show up to court, like, you know, bothering his day, which is unfortunately really the problem. Like, they should be using this as an example. So, for, for instance, I mean, there's not a ton of horses that are utilized in this industry. What they should be doing is they should be looking at how poor conditions these horses are kept. So another thing, just to keep in mind as well, is that they've had a number of horses. Like, this, I think, is actually even more of an extreme example. Since 2019, they've had seven horses that have um, died, that have um, contracted colic and then died. Now, this is one of the number one killers of horses, but yet 90% of them will actually recover if given the appropriate treatment. So it shows that there's a really big lack of care for these animals, this being an actual abusive case. So until you shut down the carriage horse industry, you will continue to be allowing the abuse of these animals. I think that's what's clear from this case. Well, recently we had joined uh, Councilman Bob Holden, who's led this effort in the city council, a Democrat of Middle Village, Glendale, and Maspeth, in trying to get the city council to do something. Uh, they don't even have an animal welfare committee, and all these DAs don't even have a special section uh, to deal with animal abuse. It's like lumped in with everything else. So, as you know, they don't even prioritize crimes against people, any of these DAs. They're not going to prioritize crimes against animals. And this was the most egregious. People to this day still remember that scene of that horse stretched out on the hot, sweltering asphalt, what appeared to be dead, this maniac beating him. He is, remember, he's subcontracted, and yet he's a member of a union. Can you believe this? The TWU union, which is in charge of the men and women who work in the subways and some of the buses, they represent the horse carriage drivers, even though they're subcontracted to do this by the horse owners. What the hell? The union gives them cover. This guy was whipping this horse. This guy wouldn't stop. People were telling him, leave the horse alone. This guy should have been in jail already. I mean, yeah, and when they were finally, when he was finally forced to remove all of the, uh, you know, like the, the actual, um, you know, harnesses that was on the horse, you could see the unbelievably emaciated condition of this horse. There's no way that anyone who, who knows anything about any living creatures would have put on that gear in that morning and taken that horse out thinking that that was okay. So, again, it just stands to reason this person should be nowhere around animals. To what ex Again, but this is why you don't keep them. This is why you, you have to cancel this industry. There's no way to maintain them in a healthy fashion, clearly, because they keep on dying the ones that are being utilized in New York City. So at what point will this be taken seriously and just end the industry? Well, in this case, 
they not only lied, but they they just compounded the lie. They said, oh, Wright is 13. Turned out Wright was 23. Yeah. Uh, then all of a sudden, under the cover of darkness, they said, oh, we sent him to a horse retirement place. Where is it? Well, we're not at liberty to say. Then, as you mentioned, well, we had to euthanize the horse because of all the injuries incurred over the years. Where did this horse incur these injuries? Oh, in the streets of New York City, uh, being enslaved into the horse carriage industry. I don't think people realize the third world countries now no longer use the horse-drawn carriages. Guadalajara in Mexico, nope. Bombay, when I first went to Bombay, they had the horse carriages. They don't have them anymore. They have the mechanized vehicles. Third world countries have discarded it. Chicago has discarded it. Other cities have discarded it. And yet... They are protected by the TWU Local 100. There's no reason for them to be union members. I got to believe that the leadership of the union is getting wine-dined and pocket-lined by the horse carriage industry. There's no reason to protect them and claim they're union members when they're subcontractors. Now, how can you be both? Yeah, makes no I mean, sense. Again, they're standing in the face of something that's just so clearly opposed by so many. Well, I know there are members of the TWU, the guys who are the motorman or the, the token booth clerks or the track workers or the maintenance women or whomever, whatever their job, the conductors. Man, you better let your union membership know you don't want these people in your union. There's so, so few of them. And it causes such a black eye to the union. But anyway, uh, thanks for continuing on this, Nancy, because we need an animal welfare committee and city council to prioritize this. And all the DAs should prioritize animal cruelty charges. They don't take care of people and they don't prosecute animal abusers either. That takes us to Newark, New Jersey and the city of Raz Barak, a friend of criminals and enemies of cops, and never been known as an animal lover. There is a case of a particular dog who's been languishing in the Newark shelter system for two years. Could you tell us about that? Because just being stuck in Newark is like a form of prison, never mind being stuck in a shelter in Newark. Yeah, so, I mean, the the story basically is trying to bring attention, obviously, what you want to, to an animal who's been languishing in the shelter for, for too long. So uh, this is a six-year-old dog, and it's been in there for two years. So, you know, they have the, um, you know, pretty much the before and after. So, you know, I started looking into why is it taking, the, so, you know, I, I'm trying to look into why is it taking this place so long. Now, unfortunately, where this dog is located at, it's in, uh, it's like the equivalent of the, you know, animal care and control here in New York City. It's this, it's the city-run shelter, uh, city-contracted run shelter for Newark. So, Associated Humane Societies in Newark. So, this is another example of, um, you know, a shelter system that's doing everything completely wrong. You know, I started looking at, you know, so they have majority, I mean, they get 11 million a year, majority of that is going to salaries. You know, you have six-figure salaries. And the, they only put out of $11 million, $50,000 toward a promotion of these animals. So there's a reason why none of these animals are getting adopted. That's the first part. And then I'm looking in the history of this um, humane society. And again, it just mirrors everything that happens when the cities contract with these really subpar management companies 
and they've been having complaints against them for years. This isn't brand new. And the most recent complaints that they've had against them related to, um, you know, the incredible um, like lack of care for these animals. So the same exact, for example, the same exact crimes that are being um, charged against rider, you know, the horse abuse, it's like lack of care, lack of, um, you know, um, actually appropriate care. This is what's being charged of the uh, former CEO of these uh, of the city shelter in Newark. So that person left, you know, when they were, you know, disgracefully, um, you know, they were called out for all the things that they were doing. So they left, you know, but then they just switched around. They employed the same exact useless people. And so, again, this just speaks of why this shelter in Newark is not able to adopt any of these animals out. It has completely inefficient owners. Do you you have an address on that shelter uh, by chance? Uh, Because, you know, I've spent a lot of time in Newark. Uh, If it's anything like the animal care and control shelter on Linden Boulevard in Brooklyn, in East New York, across from the Cypress Hills projects, down the block is Boulevard projects, pink houses, probably the most violent area in the city. You go to that shelter in Brooklyn, there are barricades there. Uh, you would think, uh, you know, that there's a war going on, and in the streets there are. Well, it's it's located 124 Evergreen Avenue. Oh, God. Okay, now, I did see the pictures of this location, and it looked, again, it looked as bad as the animal <laughs> care and control location in Brooklyn. <laughs> it has barbed wire on the roof. Yep. Every window has bars on it. Yep. There's a security person at the front door. There's no element of any friendly thing where you'd want to go in, and you can't see any animals from the outside. Yeah, well, if you're going to see a potential animal in that Newark uh, shelter right there, the address you gave me, you probably have to put on a bulletproof body condom in order to make your way there. That's crazy. They're making this impossible for people to come in. A lot of them would come in from the suburbs. You know, they they have space for animals. They love animals. A lot of people in the inner city, they can barely take care of themselves. Why wouldn't you set up a friendly operation in a relatively safe area right off the interstates, you know, out of the main thoroughfares, so people from the surrounding suburbs of Essex County, from Glen Rock and all those very affluent areas, might actually come in and adopt a few of those unwanted animals. I mean, it's it's another example of inefficiency in, you know, city-run agencies, except in when it comes to animal shelters, these inefficiencies lead to animals being euthanized. That's the problem. You have people who are getting, like I said, six-figure salaries to instead of adopt these animals out, hide the fact that they're warehousing them or euthanizing them, or the more troublesome cases, those are the ones that they'll allow to be adopted out by rescues, but they come usually with a lot of high medical costs because they don't want to absorb those costs. So again, they're not doing anything according to what their mandates are, which is to care for these animals. They're making a lot of money to do nothing. Millions. Millions. And look at the locations they have. And it's not like they can't find space nowadays. Ever since the lockdown and pandemic of 2020. Yeah, space is freely available. There's plenty of space in Newark. There's plenty of space in New York City that are in relatively safe areas with plenty of parking. You got to have plenty of parking if you're going to come pick up a dog or cat or another animal or at least potentially come in just to look to see if you might be interested in adopting them. 
And then you walk into these facilities, Nancy, like you and I have in Fort Lauderdale, in Baltimore, all throughout the city. And the dogs are barking and the cats are all frightened and there's limited space and there's a smell. And you say to yourself, oh, my God, this is this is worse than prison for human beings. This is a prison for animals. And then oh, and, and, and just to to your point, one of the previous violations that caused the um, the, the CEO in charge of this, uh, you know, same uh, shelter in Newark to resign was that when they did the inspections, there were carcasses of animals lying around that were infested. That's how, how bad it is there. They're smelling death to that level, these animals. Wow. And the mayor there, Raj Baraka, who I hate, and I've hated him before he was the mayor, I hate him even more now, probably is aware of this and has done absolutely jackedly squat nothing, nor the council there that are overpaid. Yeah, this... And this goes on. This is not just Newark and New York City. We've seen this in cities across America where we have guardian angel uh, chapters. Our numbers, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But good news. Let's go a little good news, Nancy. Flacco, (laughs) the owl, who everyone thought, all the bird watchers, uh, were tracking Flacco when somebody had opened up the wire mesh cage that Flacco was in into the Central Park Zoo, and Flacco flew away throughout the park and then was up and down Fifth Avenue, and then last week you reported that Flacco was on the Lower East Side doing his job, getting the rats and mice at night because the owl is nocturnal. Flacco, who they said would never be able to survive on its own, had to be hand-fed all the bird watchers. Whoop-a-woo! Please, Flacco, we'll hand-feed you. Flacco said, get out of here. I can handle my own. Flacco's on the move again, right? Yeah, so apparently Flacco has returned to Central Park. So now that's where Flacco resides. And the theory is that, uh, you know, he he was probably searching for a mate, but you know wasn't able to find one. So I'm not sure if there's, you know, I don't think there's a big owl population. So maybe he's hoping that he'll just you know get lucky if he comes back to Central Park. We're not sure yet. So wait a second, he's looking for love in all the wrong places, Flacco. <laughs> the Lower East Side, Central Park, and there are no owls that he can mate with. Yeah, I don't know. He might have to expand his his search. I mean, there's a lot of pigeons around, so I'm not really sure how that works. But yeah, he may need to open up his uh, <laughs> his horizon. And to all those self appointed experts, you know, who said Flacco will never survive. He's been in captivity too long. He's always been hand fed. He'll never. The instincts kicked back in the moment he was he was extricated from that uh, mesh cage by whoever who did it. Nobody has been uh, charged with that. <laughs> but he's out and about, and he's living a life that he was meant to live and serving the community at night as he as he goes after the rats and the mice. Those are his prey. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly he's doing a, a great job. Uh, I mean, hopefully he's not being bothered too much because he does seem to, everyone seems to know where he moves whenever he moves, but... Well, he's I, I, the, the paparazzi are out there. You know, they're looking the for all. All right, they're all the trendoids, jet setters, freakazoids. You know, the Kardashians and the TikTok girls, and then <laughs> they also get the assignment. They really do. People yeah. have an insatiable interest to track Flacco 
the owl, who is now the most famous bird in the world. Bar none. (laughs) Now, speaking of birds, this is a phenomenal study that was done that out of all the birds that exist out there, whether they're owls, whether they're eagles, whether they're our favorites, the pigeons that we feed that really pisses some people off and that our own owner-operator, John Katzmatidis. In fact, we were looking at him down on the street outside of this, the studio. We were having a meeting here. You happened to spawn him. And what was he doing, Nancy? Feeding the pigeons. Right, feeding the pigeons. And I tell this story all the time. We're in one of these very big, uh, you know, uh, uh, commercial uh, buildings. And uh, at one point, the um, security came out, didn't recognize him when he was feeding the pigeons. And they said, sir, you'll have to stop. You know, you can't feed the pigeons on this property. And John turned around to him and said, I'll tell you what, how about if I buy the building? Can I feed the pigeons then? (laughs) And somebody came up to the guy and said, you know, this guy could buy this building, could buy every building on the block and the next block over. But John didn't... uh, take it the wrong way. It's just that he loves feeding the pigeons. You feed the pigeons. I feed the pigeons. A lot of people feed the pigeons. And then there are other people who loathe, who hate, who despise the city pigeons. They call them uh, rats with wings. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, unfortunately, that's some people's opinion, but I mean, I think most people are pretty normal about the the whole thing. Now, the other bird that people despise, and they probably did so in watching it in cartoon form, are the vultures and the buzzards. And if you've watched any of the Mutual of Omaha, Wild Kingdom, old uh, scenarios of life, uh, especially in Southeast Asia, that's where I first saw my first vultures in Bombay, positioned high atop the skyscrapers, And if somebody collapsed and died in the streets, they would swoop down and pick their bones. So they considered bottom feeders. People don't like vultures. They they view them as, you know, and yet it turns out vultures may well be the smartest birds of all. Why is that so? Well, you know, actually, this is really funny. So this, uh, you know, study that you're you're referencing uh, you know, it, it relates to a pair of uh, buzzards that are now in the Maryland Zoo. And, you know, they're uh, they're about two and a half years old. And, you know, they're sort of like recently installed. That's, that's the nice term they use, I guess, for putting them in the zoo. Um, and they're hoping that in three to four years, when they're like sort of able to mate, that they will, in fact, uh, mate. So, they're, you know, while they're there, I guess nothing better to do than just, like, do tests on them. And <laughs> so they're trying to figure out how smart are they. And, you know, the, the, the tests that they're doing, they're funny, right? So they're, they're saying, oh, they're smarter than parrots. And, you know, they're going through some of the intricacies of how thoughtful they are. Now you go into some of the actual facts of, of like, the vultures. It's unbelievable. Like, I had no idea that they were as amazing as they are, like, in terms of their... Um, like ability to interact with the environment. So again, right to your point, what they do is they don't feed on active live prey. They only feed on something once it's uh, once it's deceased. So they're actually 
super good at keeping away things like that they've developed within their body, but also making sure that diseases don't spread because it's the fact of having a lot of uh, rotting carcasses that in many instances has caused things, you know, like plagues and things of that nature. But the level to which they're, they're observational, so for instance, they can fly as high as 10,000 feet. They can smell a single molecule of odor on a piece of meat. And, and actually, they fly 20,000, up to 20,000 miles per year. And they do it because they're heavy birds. They do it with such a level of efficiency that, it, that while they're flying, they're actually flying on, um, they're, they're called gliders. They're the most ex- excellent gliders, which means that they stay afloat on breezes and thermal changes in, um, in the air. So they're almost expending zero energy by being able to fly all around 20,000 miles per year, which makes me feel real bad <laughs> for these two vultures that just got caught up in the zoo who will just be sitting around for the rest of their lives. So, well, well, I mean, a question, <laughs> because I remember first seeing them in the cartoon, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. They were considered the villains in the cartoon. They've always had that, um, let's say, that, that feel that's been attached What's the difference between a vulture and a buzzard? Oh, well, I mean, again, I'm not sure um, specifically the distinction between them. But, I mean, you know, I guess to your point, I think the, the negative connotation really comes to the fact that they're always, you know, for obvious reasons, associated with death. So, you know, if people see them there, it would be like, oh, they're anticipating it. Surprisingly, in many ways, they can uh, to some extent, anticipate certain things. You know, I mean, it, it's it's incredible. So, I mean, I think that's where the, you know, the negative connotation comes from. Oh, you see them around, you think they're going to cause something, as opposed to them just perceiving something. And yet, they turn out to be the smartest birds of all. Uh, when we come back, let's take your many phone calls. They're lining up as we speak, Nancy, on this, the Animal Welfare Hour, 1-800-848-9222. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. And to the phones we go, Nancy. It's Rita in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Rita. Hi, Curtis. I've been trying to get in contact uh, for many of your shows. Um, and luckily I just got in contact first. I'd like to start off with my mom is really upset that you're not mayor of New York city, but other than that, (laughs) um, let me see. Yeah. So I love vultures. I used to think when I was younger, they were very scary. However, um, I also know that they are immune to the botulism, um, uh, pathogen. And, uh, that's why, um, they are so awesome for the environment, too. Yeah, no, as uh, Nancy described it, Rita, they go after dead prey. So you need to have the scavengers do that. 
Uh, whereas I believe the buzzards are related to like hawks. So they go after live prey, a big differentiation. Correct. And uh, yeah, they were scary. They were, you know, let's face it. Most kids were introduced to them in cartoon form and you would see vultures and it was like, oh, be afraid of vultures. You know, they, the look was, uh, was, was not an endearing look. So um, again, you learn a lot of things about animals and I would never have thought out of the many birds that I've seen or read about or seen on document in documentaries that the vulture was the smartest of all. Absolutely. Do appreciate that, Rita. Let's go, if we can, to uh, Joey, who's calling all the way from Reno, Nevada. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour at WABC, Giuseppe. Yeah, guys, greetings from the high desert of northern Nevada. Uh, great show. Never miss the uh, Animal Protection Hour. Uh, the reason I'm calling is I have a 14-year-old male cat. He was a rescue from the streets. I, uh, I found him in a driving rainstorm when I was living in Oakland at the time and brought him in. And then he was only about two weeks old. and We had to bottle feed him and all that. But he was very standoffish. He wasn't the friendliest of cats. And about a month ago... His personality completely changed, like literally overnight. He follows you from room to room. He has to keep getting in your lap. He has to sleep with you and this and that. For an older cat, is that kind of odd behavior? Um, Well, I mean, okay, so it could be a lot of things, right? It could just be the cat's personality changing. But, um, you know, Curtis was mentioning earlier, like uh, the cat we have, Apollo, was is it notices when he's not feeling well so maybe it has more to do with you and not so much to do with the cat interesting i have been experiencing some physical issues uh, what happened to Giuseppe? uh what, what what did you do mad place what did you would you wake up there i realize this guy he's like a, a total waste <laughs> they should keep him with frank morano and frank morano alone I don't know, my, but your feeling in that case, because I've heard this story from others who say that as the animals in their life mature and they get more used to, oh, uh, Joey's back. Sorry, Joe, for, for yes. being disconnected from you. Right here. Yeah, but uh, Nancy, as I was saying, I've heard that from a lot of people as their animals mature, they seem to assimilate better with the humans that they're living with. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, it's it's it could be a combination of the environment too. I mean, maybe something is going on. Again, they have very good um, senses, so it could just be something on some level you're just not aware of that's going on. Let's go to Tony in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Tone, how you doing, Curtis uh, and Nancy? Uh, we have turkey vultures out here in Jersey. Ooh. In fact, I have them in my backyard once in a while, and uh, They've landed on my roof, and uh, they were re- introduced into Jersey about 30 years ago just for the uh, the deer carcasses on the highways and the roadways because uh, years ago the deer would just rot on the highways, and it was disgusting. But now with the turkey vultures, it, you know, the carcass is gone in a day or two. Now, and, qu- uh, question, Tony. Uh, is the turkey vulture, I mean, you, you've described it, the turkey vulture, is it somehow the mixing of vultures and turkeys? 
I, I don't know, but I could tell you this. They're ugly to look at. But when, they, when they fly, they have a wingspan about 10, 15 feet. Oh. And it's beautiful. And they fly low. They're only like maybe 15, 20 feet off the ground. So when they fly, you see them. And they're really, really a beautiful bird when they're flying. But do, do, uh, do they down, they're do, ugly. Do they look like a turkey in any way? Or do, you can clearly see they're a vulture. Yeah. Uh, the the heads, hmm. they, they look a little bit like a turkey. Wow! And uh, that's that's why they call them. And uh, like I said, they were reintroduced to Jersey, in New Jersey, about I think thirty years ago, and uh, they're all over uh, uh, Central Jersey. So, but they're doing a good. They're doing a job. Uh, well, uh, well, the well, see, you're right that it's the balance of nature. And uh, just like I saw the bodega cat this morning on my way home from doing overnights here at WABC in the window, doing its job at the deli before the staff came in. I was a little early there. My job was to get breakfast for Nancy and the kitties. That's the only job I have in the house. <laughs> but I saw the cat and the cat's doing its job, which is... To make sure there are no rats, no mice. Uh, the turkey buzzards, obviously, if there's roadkill, which can become really problematic, they eliminate the roadkill. So they, yeah, they, and actually, that, that turkey vulture, that's the one that I was referencing before, that has the best sense of smell of any animal. So that's why they, I mean, again, it can smell one molecule of dying meat. That's how good it is. Let's go to Michael calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC. Michael. Yeah, Curtis. Hey, Nancy. Great show. My favorite hour in radio. Um, yeah, I have a little uh, tidbit about turkey vultures. Um, first of all, they look like um, Sid Rosenberg. They're bald, <laughs> but they have like a big puffy body, you know, like like they're wearing like five Joseph booed suits <laughs> and uh and and i was uh like laying i was sitting outside of my backyard um and they flock around and they uh, uh i disagree with what the last guy said they fly very high in the air like ten thousand feet almost and they just circle around you so i was like fearing for my life that they were just going to come down and like gobble <laughs> me up like buzz buzzard from like a Woody Woodpecker cartoon, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> so what, what did you end up learning about them since uh, you had a fear, a natural fear of them watching them in cartoon forms, watching them depicted? They like, they are a scary look to look at. What did you eventually learn about their habits? I did um, because I love animals, so that's why I'm listening to the show. And uh, yeah, they do uh, serve a purpose in the community. You know, you know, cleaning up unfortunate roadkill and stuff like that. And uh, they're actually, I'm sure, they're harmless, but they do look pretty nasty. You know. Yeah, that's for sure. I was reading descriptions of, of what you're talking about because they can go so high in the air that when they sense something, they can descend so completely fast that it sounds like a little bomb. So I'm like, I, I can see why you'd be scared if you, if you saw that. 
Well, I'll never forget seeing them on the high-rise, these gleaming new high-rise buildings, 90 stories high in Bombay, next to shacks. I love going through the shacks in the early morning hours and seeing how people lived. And the people explained it to me, the vultures stay there. Imagine if a human being dies in the street, they will swoop down and they will eliminate that human being of which... In India, sometimes, that is the case. They're not roadkill. It's that people will die. They have more reverence sometimes for cows and cattle that they won't move in the roads. You know, they like, it's part of their religion. You know, it's actually, it's interesting you mentioned India because there was, um, in the uh, 1990s, there was an instance where um, vultures were feeding on uh, the carcasses of the cows, and unfortunately, a lot of the cows have been treated with, uh, you know, an anti-inflammatory type drug, and it killed 99% of the population, mm. tens of millions of vultures. Mm. So they're trying to recover now from what happened already, because again, to the point, they eat carcasses, but now so many of these animals have poisons within them, and that's threatening the vulture population. Let's go to Chris in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Chris. Hey, Curtis. Uh, from College Point originally, and uh, now we're out in Long Island in the sticks, and we get to see uh, an amazing array of wildlife in our backyard, and we love it. You know, people don't like the deer. I guess they eat the plants and stuff like that, but we welcome it, man. We, we look at it right through the window. We have a hawk nesting right in the backyard. <laughs> Uh, it's amazing. It really is. You could sit there and watch nature for hours. And coming from Queens, I mean, you know, we we used to have uh, the only nature you'd get in College Point. You've been to College Point to all the parades. Basically, uh, dogs and rats. That's about it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Although Nancy grew up out there in Bohemia and has described to me growing up in the fields where there were like animals galore. Am I correct on that, Nancy? I mean, yeah, yeah. I lived um, like one block down from the Kanekwat State Park, so it was often in the mornings because a deer would come straight from the park and they would be eating on the lawns, you know, before people would get up and then they would run back to the park. Let's go, if we can, to Paul in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Paul. Good evening. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for all the help that you're doing for all the animals everywhere, too. Thank you for that. Appreciate that. I'm, uh, I want to comment on uh, the cat thing first, if I can, and then the vultures. Uh, some, I, was, I was around a cat once that uh, did the same thing, followed me around, followed me around, but I didn't realize that it was uh, actually not as healthy as it would like to have been. And I made the mistake of not recognizing that, and the animal ended up passing with really no bad health signs that were noticeable, to be honest. But there was a a breathing problem. Now, as far as I live on the island, I've been out here my whole life. I live right over by Connecticut Avenue, right over by the Connecticut State Park over there. We got red-tailed hawks, we got cooper hawks. We have the turkey vultures, but the turkey vultures that I'm aware of, like the first guy said, they fly really low, uh, 30 feet off the ground. But what they're doing in the summertime when the ospreys come back is they rob the osprey nests of their babies. So they don't only just eat road carcass kills. They actually eat live uh, prey also. Uh, I, there's nests all over the place. Actually, the town that I live in, they make uh, perches on telephone poles so that the ospreys could build a nest. 
Mm. And uh, after that, what it is is it's open game for the uh, the turkey vultures. They'll just circle and circle the nests, and uh, un- unfortunately, so the they, live uh, the live baby ospreys. Yeah, mm-hmm, the oh, baby. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, I tell you, uh, this uh, edition of Animal Welfare has been very enlightening. Imagine the panoply of different animal issues, and people are most interested in vultures, vultures and buzzards. Yeah, interesting. It's, I mean, it, it's very. Fa- I mean, I'm surprised how many um, interactions people have in you know the the five boroughs type area, New York area. Yeah, well, I think because we grew up with a certain stigma about vultures, we saw them in cartoon form, and as I said, in uh, animal uh, documentary form, National Geographic special, so there was a fear of the vulture. And yeah, we learned a whole hell of a lot, so much so, I had a conversation with our president of Red Apple Media, Chad Lopez, Nancy, about syndicating this show across the nation, because let's face it, People are interested in animals from coast to coast, from border to border. Uh, It's something that you could be a supporter of Trump, Biden, whoever. You could be apolitical. People people love animals. So we're going to be working on that in the future so that more people can become aware of animal welfare issues as my wife brings to the surface in what is, without a doubt, the most interesting of the many hours that I do, the most called into, we get the most response to the Animal Welfare Hour than I do to all the other hours of talk radio that I do here at WABC. If people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that, Nancy? Well, they can visit uh, guardianangels.org or they can um, DM me on Twitter, uh, Nancy Sliwa, E-S-Q.